On everybody, it's me, Justin Redrick. Um, better known on Twitter as Bitcoin Vegan. You can also find me on LinkedIn as Justin Redrick. And this here is the BTCTC, the Bitcoin Transformation Community uh, from Bars to Bitcoin Project podcast. And today I got a very special guest. Um, I consider him like the LeBron James of all of this. He is the founder and owner of the On the Inside Empowerment Workshop Tour, where we go inside and teach empowering ways to reinvent society to people that's incarcerated. So I don't want to take up too much because I want him to be able to tell his story and go into you know the details of the show. So I'm gonna bring on the Cardell Sims. What's going on, Cardell? What's going on with you, Justin? Man, how's everything going? It's going, man. Life is life, and bro, you know, life is life, and if it ain't going, we ain't gonna make it nowhere. Uh, <laughs> but you know, man, it's good to have you on. Um, I know last time we tried to do this, we had some technical difficulties, but we're here, and it's been, you know, over a month since we first met up in Jessup, Maryland. But before we get into all of that, go ahead and share, you know, the people a little bit about you, you know, a bit about your background and what led you even get here, man. The floor is yours for the next, don't matter how long it take you to go, bro. <laughs> nah, man, yeah. Um, man, you know me, man. Uh, reason why I've been this reentry, because it's been half my life. And, you know, uh, grew up in a polished neighborhood. My mother had me when she was 16 years old. I got an older sister that my mother had two weeks before her 14th birthday. So, you know, my mama had two kids at a young age, you know, 16 years old with the second child. She, you know, she was really just a baby herself. So her trying to find her life, my grandmother raised me um, in our household in the projects, grew up in the projects. Um, the court that we grew up in was the most violent court in the projects. The nickname was called Killer Court. Uh, by the time I was seven and eight i've seen stabbing shooting things of that nature um but in, in my household just alone you know it was it was dysfunctional when i look back and think about it you know my grandmother was an alcoholic my grandfather wasn't around he got killed when i was about like two but hearing stories he was an alcoholic as well um i had aunties and uncles that was alcoholics and aunties and uncles along with my mom that ended up becoming addicts so by the time I was a teenager, I was a, I was part of a gang, um, 15, 16 years old, called attempted murder charge. Um, and um got put in juvenile detention center. While I was in juvenile detention center, because of the situation that was going on with my mother and my father wasn't nowhere around the picture, nothing like that. I had a couple of basketball coaches come speak on my behalf because I could play basketball, talk to the judge and explain to them about my living conditions and stuff that I'm going through with my mom. And so the judge gave me an option to go to a foster home with the stipulation that I had to graduate high school. This is right before my junior year. Um, I was on the verge of dropping out at this time. So all my homeboys already dropped out and things that just a couple of us still standing and remaining. So he gave me the stipulation to do that. I went to one foster home. It just didn't work out, man. People were trying to get me to go to church and all this other stuff. And I was, I just wasn't with it, you know, bucking them. Um, they say something back, my people knew. Came down to the foster home, try to fight them and everything else. So they was like, nah, you got to come up out of here. 
<laughs> so my coach, see, <laughs> my coach put me in another foster home. But the thing was, the, the this house I went to this time, the guy was my AAU coach, mm -hmm. and he had a foster home opening because he had took in his daughter's children as foster children. So he took me in, and um, he he originally came from the same projects I came from, but he was a mailman. Mm -hmm. You know, he had a little, you know, mail, back then, mail carrier was making that bread. So, you know, he had a little bread. So he ended up moving out of the projects, him and his wife and his son. His son was always, he had, um, he had an older, older daughter. Then he had three more children after his older daughter with his wife. And so, you know, me and his sons was real cool. And was, really his son, his youngest son kind of was like my day one, for mm -hmm. real. And so they took me in. But he would let me go visit my mom and them in the projects and stuff on the weekend until I kept coming back high. I would come back high and everything else. He was yeah. like, no, nah, you can't keep doing that, you know. And so uh, he had me get a little job. I got a job at Wendy's and, you know, and then he kept me in sports. So I graduated high school and I had the um, basketball scholarship to play junior college ball at home where I was at. Um, but as soon as I graduated high school, I moved right back into the neighborhood. And just kind of picked off where I left off at. It's like kind of like I took a two-year break, graduated high school, and went right back to it. So while I was in junior college, I was playing basketball, study hall, lift weights. When I wasn't doing that, I was in the streets, game banging, selling dope and stuff like that. Um, my mom, during this time, my mom just started had just started going to a recovery, and so you know we didn't really have no money. So in other in, in other words, um, outside the twenty-five dollars a week we got in junior college, we got fifteen dollars on. Monday night to get some food, and you got ten dollars on Friday for the weekend. So outside that little twenty-five dollars, you know, you had to get it how you live. You know, we in the house shooting dice for the money. You know, you just had to get out of live. Mm -hmm. So I, we, I ain't come for money. So I just knew the only way at this time to get money was selling dope. So while I'm in college, I sold dope. Um, I signed to go play at UNLV. Uh, after my sophomore year, I signed to go play UNLV in the transfer. But what happened was that summer I called a salt case mm -hmm. and I lost that scholarship. I just happened to have a homeboy that was down playing basketball uh West Georgia. And he's like, man, come down here. So I ended up going down there. He ended up getting kicked out of the school before I even get down there. Damn. Uh, cause uh because he called like a weed, dropped dirty on some weed or something. And so I get down there and he ain't there, but you know, I continue to doing what I'm doing. I had the same mindset, same mentality. I just took it to Georgia. It's mm -hmm. kind of one of them things, you know, saying uh, you could take the G up out the streets, but you can't take the streets up out the G. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, that's just what it was, you know. And I got down to Georgia. I ended up just in the same thing. You know, it's just that uh, it was just on another level. And so after my senior year in basketball, I was down there. First, first year I was down to Georgia, I caught a little weed case. Went to, um, went to uh, court. Um, this time, this mindset I had, I felt like I was a real life um, mafia gangster. Um, no, straight up, you think playing with this, this, um, because everybody on the team, you know, they had chains, mm -hmm. basketball go, you know, the Nike sign, you know, them type chains back mm -hmm. in the day. My chain said thug life. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, I would wear. I would. I was going to court for the little weed case, wearing that chain. Yeah, wearing wearing a top hat like a mop 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 the top hat. Yeah, 
with a scarf. Yeah. With a scarf. Black with some black gloves with a black scarf, a top hat. You know what I'm saying? With that chain on, dressed up, going to court. Dog, I wasn't nothing like 21 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And like so, what did the judge say when he saw you come in there with that? Oh, they was tripping. They was like, man, what's, you know, what's, what's up with this dude here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're like, man, yeah. you got the gloves on. You got to take, take your hat off in the court. Like, I, you know, I ain't know nothing. I ain't had no court etiquette or nothing. I'm in there gangsting out in my mind, looking crazy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, um, well, yeah, yeah, I ain't young, you know? And so, yeah, I got the little weed case. Um, after my senior year in basketball, I just dropped out of school, man. Uh, last game, it was it. So that game's over with, I'm not going to school no more. I um got some got the opportunity for some um to play basketball overseas and IBD. It's for the NBA GD. So you had CBA, ISBDL, you had overseas, you know, um Norway. Go over Norway, won't become play basketball. Four, 14, 15 hour flight. <laughs> Couldn't get nobody to come over. Didn't nobody want to take the flight with me. Yeah, and I turned it down. I turned it down. Like, nah, I can't do it. Um, $175,000 tax-free money. They supplied the, the transportation in the house. I couldn't get nobody to take the flight with me, so I, I turned it down. Uh, Full-fledged in the streets at the time, though, too, so it really wasn't a big thing to me. You know, I, I kind of was at the, the that fork in the road. People talk about professional ball streets. and Literally, I chose the streets. Um, when I say professional ball, not necessarily talking NBA, but overseas is that's good money. Overseas, um, figures, everything else paid for. Hell yeah, that's good. Yeah, money. that's good money. Hundred twenty five thousand, hundred uh twenty five thousand for a couple of years. It was good money, mm-hmm. but I was just too caught up in the streets. Like I felt like that's where my life was. Uh, Tupac influence, mafia influence, uh, gang influence. You know, so I was making more money in drugs, like. That's the only way I took care of myself in college. I didn't have no parents that had money. I didn't have no, I didn't come for money. Nobody was sending me money. So uh, I got scholarship money, um, Pell Grants and stuff like that, loans. I had to get it how I've I seen that I had to get it. Mm-hmm. And so once I dropped out of school, it was full-fledged streets, like no more basketball, none of that. Within six, seven months after I dropped out, caught my first drug case, um, drug trafficking case, uh, went on a high speed foot pursuit and yeah. everything. Uh, they ended up finding eleven packages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did one big package. They uh, drug trafficking. I sit in the county for like six months. Ended up getting probation. Uh, got out. So I got probation right up to the block, mm-hmm. right to the neighborhood. You know, sent right back to the block. Get it. We we also had a studio. So we had this big, big studio club. So it was the block and the club. Club, we had a green room. All kind of things went down in there. So I just went <laughs> right back to it. Like, when I got out, this this is what I got out to. I got out to a million. When I got out to probation, I got I went right to a million-dollar block, mm-hmm. one strip, a million-dollar strip. Yeah. Um, we owning the clubs. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so I went right back to it. Y'all getting money, money, money. Y'all ain't pinching yeah. money, money. No, we yeah, we ain't pin pinching like we, you know what I'm saying? Like we get money, you know, we the enemy of the city. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Like, you know, so yeah. um we just, you know, just like how can you, you get out of I'm I'm 22, so I'm coming out of county jail six months. 
and I'm falling right. My mama lived dead center of the block. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's this is this is what it is. So I get back out there, I do it again. I'm on probation. I drop dirty. Mm-hmm. I, I had to go to a little uh once a week counseling thing. Got dropped dirty again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they sent me to a, a inpatient, 30-day inpatient treatment at the Phoenix house. Got out of there, dropped dirty again, and they violated my probation and sent me to an institutional drug treatment program. So it was 120 days. It was called a callback. So when you go in there and do 120 days on probation, if you complete the program, the judge calls you back in front of them and restarts your probation. Thing was, I, I had some cases pending that came up when I went into the, the so I didn't even, they, took, they threw me out. So they threw me out of that, sent me back to the county jail. I go to trial. I lost. I get 19 years sentence. Missouri Department of Corrections, 23 years old. Our first prison I went to was called Missouri State Penitentiary, also known as the Wall, Jeff City Correctional Center. Um, one of the worst prisons in Missouri at the time. Nickname was called uh, Bloodiest 48 Acres from a, a, a riot that they had back in the day, and it just stuck that name. Yeah. Segregated, had two yards, upper yard, lower yard. White white people was on one yard, black people was on the other. Uh, type of prison when you go in there, you had to. They gave you a state coat, told you to put this on. You go up to the library to get the encyclopedias, and you know, put this your bulletproof vest. Uh, just that type of prison, yeah, this type of prison. Um, it's a it was an older prison, so it was a tier prison, mm-hmm. five six tiers. Um, not, ain't no wasn't no cameras or none of that. Too many duck offs. Right. People people was disappearing in the prison. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was my first couple of years in prison. So my thing was um, to make it out of prison. You know, yeah. um, to 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 uh, survive. You know, um, so my first year, year and a half, I was wild, fighting, got stabbed in the back. You know right. what I'm saying? Things like that. And uh, an old head pulled me over. He said, "Man." You got to slow down, you ain't going to make it up out of here. So at the same time, this prison was closing. So they started sending us to these new um, prisons that they was building. Mm-hmm. Um, and to fit, And before they sent us there, they ran the prison. To get it running, they had lower levels of fitness in there. So they ran it, the prison a lower level. The mm-hmm. problem they made is when they start bringing us max prisoners in there and issuing out the lower level, they still try to run it like a lower level, meaning they left a wide open. You move when yeah. you want to. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that because they was filling it up and people was coming out the hole that had keep away from each other. So it was for the first year and a half there, it was stabbings and lockdowns and stuff mm-hmm. like that, left and right, until yeah. they got it under control. And so I was probably locked up by four, four and a half years at the time. Um, they sent me a piece of paper under my door, told me I had an immediate pro here. The Senate bill passed. They cut one of the sentences that I got convicted of trial in half on a mandatory minimum, so I was up for immediate parole. And I walked in there, man, fastest parole hearing in history. Uh, probably about a one-minute parole hearing. The guard took me, stopped, stopped me at the door. He went to, to the bathroom. I went to the parole hearing. They said, Mr. Sims, looking at my paperwork, Mr. Sims, you are part of the problem. You got a few more years with this. You think you want to take some institutional behavior and drug treatment? I told him, yeah, I'll take the treatment because I knew the sooner I get in there, the quicker I'll be out. Um, yeah. That was it. I walked out. The guard came out the bathroom. He said, man, go in there. I said, I haven't been in there. He said, oh, man, that's the fastest i ever seen somebody in and out there. But, <laughs> I mean, wasn't nothing to talk about. You said I had a few more years with you. That was it. Ain't nothing else we talked about. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, 
they gave me my out date a couple weeks after that. It was a few more years away. But the, so I went to a, I went from a supermax to a, a low. So it was like going from hell to heaven because it was <laughs> not nah, for real. I was yeah. at a supermax. There was control movement. Mm-hmm. So you, you only can move on every hour and you only had 10 minutes to get to where you're going. Um, yeah. And if you weren't going to the rec room, you had to be on a call out. Right. I went from that and it, it wasn't nothing. You had a gym, a couple of softball fields, you know what I'm saying? A little weight pile, stuff. That was it. it was How long was your yard call? Y'all have yard? How long was your yard call? Yeah, so your yard, so yard call in the morning time was from 8.30 to like 10. Right. With an hour, with an hour on every movement. So 9.30 of, uh, to 11. So mm-hmm. then at 9 o'clock, you had a movement. 10 o'clock, you had a movement. Then you had 11 o'clock movement. Everybody went back to the house to get ready for child. Then right. 1 o'clock to, I think, 4. Yeah, oh, mid-day uh, yard. And then from um after 4, depending on what season it is, you had a night yard for a couple of hours. That sound like yeah. every other. That sound like yeah. it happened in North Carolina. Yeah, it's a movement every hour, every hour. But you either gonna be in your cell or out the cell, mm-hmm. or in the house or out the house. You know what I'm saying? So every hour they call movement. But when I got to the lower level camp, it wasn't no every hour. From once count cleared at eight o'clock in the morning, eight thirty, yard was open all day to probably like seven o'clock at night. It wasn't no. Going back to when it's time to go to lunch, you can go to lunch. For you go back to the house for count at the count, you can go count clear. You can go to lunch, or you can go to hit the yard. You ain't got to go to town. You back out. Yeah, um, four o'clock same way. You back out. Mm-hmm. They had pool tables. They had <laughs> they had pool tables. They had like four pool tables. They had a boxing bag. Man, yeah. they had all the waste. Like it was just different. I'm like, man, this is crazy. I got a boxing bag. I got pool tables up here. Oh, That's how I felt in Caledonia. No, see, in the maximum security, you can't have no boxing bag. You can't uh, have no, you can't <laughs> have no pool pool tables up in here. What? That's up. <laughs> this would have this would have been up out of here. Somebody had been got cracked in the head with a pool stick. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah it wow. wouldn't have been no pool sticks in there. People would have been stealing pool sticks, making knives, everything else. Like, yeah. So this, like I said. Hey, I wonder why I getting stabbed. But one thing it was was it was more disrespect. The guards didn't respect you in the lower levels like they did in the, in the higher levels, nor did the inmates. You know what I'm saying? Somebody mm-hmm. coming in with two, three years don't know what it's like to be in the cell with somebody that got five live sentences or got 30 years, or 35 years. So the, the respect level was drastically low. Right. Um, so I, I got me a job at the governor's mansion. Okay. Um, which was good. It made nine dollars a day, which was good in prison, right. um, because that's a couple hundred dollars a month. And then, not only that, I had to eat because I worked on work release at the governor's mansion. So every morning, I'm at the I'm from the governor's mansion every day from seven thirty in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon. They feed us there. We we hope we doing banquets. Mm-hmm. We got catered food and everything. So. Um, that was the best job I had. And so I, I held that job for almost a year before the treatment called me. So when yeah. treatment called me, I went to another prison and did six months treatment. Um treatment was it, it was treatment, treatment was crazy. Um after 180 day treatment, I, I walked into a unit that was uh there was a bad unit and I, I I fell right into the unit and then they came in and kicked our unit in and put us on tight house. They said, y'all ain't, y'all ain't, y'all, this ain't no therapeutic community. Y'all running this like a regular prison. Fired all the, 
fired yeah. off the, the the inmate um because you had you had um in treatment you got these uh different um coordinators mm -hmm. group. you got a service coordinator you got a uh senior coordinator assistant senior coordinator you got an expedited coordinator which got the expedited crew they kind of uphold the law in the treatment center but treatment's a dirty game so they got this system called pull-up system so they got a thousand different rules so anytime somebody see you breaking the rule they're gonna pull you up they're gonna write down a piece of paper your name they're gonna add, write down what you what you why you pulling them up so i might say i'm pulling mr redrick up Mm -hmm. for he ain't got a shirt tucked in his pants. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. at the end of the day, you have the house meeting, then they read the pull-ups. You might not even know you got a pull-up. You'd be sitting right. there in the meeting, hey, Mr. Redrick, yeah, we got a pull-up for you, written by Mr. Sims, said you was walking around with your shirt tucked in. So, Damn. you, yeah, so then you got to do, now you got to get a consequence for that. So they might tell you, right, for the next week, you got to walk around with his pants tucked in like Urkel. <laughs> all, through the, all through the prison and treatment center. You got to walk around for a whole week with your pants pulled in like Urkel. Because you keep, <laughs> yeah, straight up. And, and you might, and they might put on there, and you might have to say, do I do that every time somebody asks you your name? Yeah, 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 when you come in there, they had these things called image busters because they don't want you coming in there trying to uphold the image. So you got to do these image busters and they like that. You got the, the steamy teapot, the uh, chicken hawk. Yeah, you got to do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, make you get in front of air. You get, they make you get in front of everybody. I'm a little steamy teapot. Oh, no. Nah. Nah. I might got to go to the floor. I might got to go yeah. to the floor for that one. So they do that so you don't come in there with that prison image. You know, everybody's on the same. But we was in there jealous, so they came in and shut all that down. Fired yeah. all the coordinators. And we put on tight house. So after 180 days, 111 days, I sit in the chair with my hands on my knees, facing a brick wall, while they went through my file and they talked talked to me any kind of way, dog me out, dog my mom out, dog my kids out, spit sunflower seeds on the floor. It was 48 of us to start off with. When it was over, and one number six of us that was still left that didn't need to sign out, I got kicked out. Um, and so when I got out of prison, I started completed that, I got out of prison. I went right back to the same neighborhood, same block, same gang, jumped back in the same same mix. Uh, but then within one year of me getting out, caught another drug case. Uh, my mother's brother's son set me up. Um, I ended up getting violated, going back to prison for a violation on parole, catch a new case. I beat that case on the technicality. I got out, same neighborhood, same block, same gang, went back and did it again. Uh, this time we was in the middle of a gang war. A couple people got shot. Somebody got killed. Uh, they violated me and a couple other people on my block for association, convicted felons associating together, mm -hmm. taking pictures and stuff together. Went back to prison again, got out. Uh, same neighborhood, same block. After about two year run, the federal government came pick me and 31 other people up. Uh, and conspiracy charges, uh, gang activity, aiding and abetting, uh, just a lot of things, shootings and all this. Um, and I really wasn't tripping off the time that they was offering when they uh, took us to the courthouse. I was looking at the top of the paper of the indictment, and it said the United States versus Cardio Sim. And right then and there, it was something that made me ask myself, like, why do you keep finding yourself in these situations? You know what I'm saying? At this time, I'm 34, 35 years old. I've been going from uh, 
since the age of 15 from juvenile detention center, foster home, county. I've been to county jail nine times, prison five. This is my fifth prison trip. And all day I came up with, like, man, it's you, man. You the one to keep putting yourself in this shit. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. And so from that point on, even though I didn't, wasn't getting sentenced or didn't know how much time I was getting, I, I made an oath to myself, like, man, I got, I'm going to be better. When I get out, I'm going to be better than I am standing at this moment. And what that took was as soon as I got to my federal holdover fighting my federal case, I stopped reading. I didn't read no more hood novels, man. I, I used to read the gutter, the gangsters, you know, thug, yeah. thug, and I, I, I put reading them, and I just started reading all educating. I started off reading How to Hustle to Win. I read How to Hustle to Win Part 2, Knowledge Yourself, Science Yourself, Super Rich, uh, Manifest Your uh, Dreams, Letter to Young Brothers by Harper Hill, um, How to Set Smart Goals with Brian Tracy. I read uh, Consciousness, Subconscious, Superconsciousness, How to Tap into All of Them, What All of Them Was. A lot of books about the mind, hypnosis, business books, uh, Man, I was reading books left and right, but I was taking notes because I couldn't take these books with me once I got sentenced. So <laughs> once I got sentenced, I just took all them notes and sent them home and told my people when I got to the federal prison, I'm going to have them send them back. So when I got to federal prison, they sent them notes back and then they sent my driver's license. And when I say driver's license, I ain't talking about my, my real driver's license. Mm-hmm. In federal prison, federal prison, especially um, USPs, United States Penitentiary, they're the worst of the worst in the federal prison system. You got to have what they call your driver's license. That's your paperwork. Mm-hmm. Making sure you ain't snitch on nobody because it's a lot of USPs. If you snitch and you can't walk the yard um, unless you're probably in a Christian car or sometimes in a Muslim car. But if you ain't in one of them cars, you can't walk the yard. And sometimes even them cars, they don't even let you if you hot. Yeah. They don't even yeah. let you in. And so um, when I got there and I, you know what I'm saying, I, my paper, I had my paperwork, I was good on the yard. I just continued that same regimen, but this, then I started taking programming. So I took uh, janitorial service. I got a janitorial cleaning certificate. I took hotel hospitality and lodging, became a certified concierge. I took service became certified in service Then I took this class called Consciousness and Success. And it taught me about how to tap into my individual human potential and performance. But most importantly, what I got that class, it introduced me to affirmations and a vision board right. so once i applied the affirmation the vision board to what i was doing it, it kind of just elevated things because the affirmation let me know that i was greater than the situation i was in and then the vision board helped me start developing a blueprint of what i wanted my life to look like after incarceration so it led me to other books and things after that and then once i got out of prison man i just stuck to the blueprint stuck to the vision board. Everything that I've done up to this date has been um, on that vision board outside of the tour. The tour was just an, an, another effort of a new vision board because I've done, was at the five-year mark and done accomplished everything that I had on that first vision board from owning my own company to being a speaker, to being a coach, you know what I'm saying, getting married, uh, you know, and things of that nature. So I had all these on there and I just stuck to the vision board once I got released from federal prison. Uh, once I got out of federal prison, yeah, I took some jobs. You know what I'm saying? You heard it. You heard the story before when I got out of federal prison. You know, they gave me a list of jobs. 
I knew I wasn't gonna work in no factory, man. That's just what right. it was. I'm not no factory worker. You put me in the factory, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna yeah. be so mad. I'm gonna go out to the streets. I'm gonna sell some dope. Right. That's what I know. That's what it's always been. Don't you know? And so I knew I wasn't gonna go in no factory. That was a setup. And I got to the halfway house. That's what they gave me it was a list of all factory jobs and one telemarketing job on there. And I went right. I didn't go to the factory place. I went to the telemarketing place. They gave me a job, and it was probably the best thing there was because that played a part in me becoming a speaker, uh-huh. um, reading the script, stuff like that, helping me pronunciate my words. Um, it was a struggle because uh, I made eleven dollars an hour. It's two thousand seventeen, eleven dollars an hour, and I owe six ninety nine in child support. So I was making half. I was making a third of what the payout. So the payout was I probably was making a hundred, a hundred forty dollars. A week, you mm. know, surviving off that, yeah. you know, and I just stuck to it as just the process, and you know, that process that I had led me up to, you know, starting my own programs and running it into institution. So it sounds like from everything you shared, from the ups, the downs, the hell of downs, and the coming up, when you made a decision to know, like, it's on me to be better, and then you. You might not have had like like sometimes people don't know how they're gonna do something, but you got a strong enough why, and you start putting these these clues together, and started um just started living it out, and within doing that, it's like you found a formula that can help not just you know has it helped you, but help others see their own path and see how they can, you know, start small and keep growing. Would you say that's it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Um, that's what that's that was my whole thing. Um, was I finally found I finally beat going to prison. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that's the biggest thing, man. I, I feel because I've only had one one trip to prison, but I will always hear guys talk about how they went back and how they came back, and I would listen to their stories and learn from their stories. Like, yo, you gotta be willing to endure, you know, the shit when you come home. And, um, you know, a lot of men and women, you know, they want to, but they don't know how to endure that. And so, you know, you putting that together by way of using the plan you had. How, how does one man say plan your work and work your plan? You know what I'm saying? And so that worked out real, real good for you. And, and it sounds like it led you into the reentry work that you're doing with the programs. But. Tell folks how you came about putting this tour together, man, because it, it surprises everyone when I mention it to them. It's like, what the hell is going on? How how did this even come about? Like, how how did you end up getting the whole tour put together, man? Oh, man. Trusting in myself. Um, you know, I run the program beside institutions, you know, physically in Missouri, virtually in Arizona. And in my program, even though it's personal development, I always bring in one or two educators every month, formerly mm-hmm. incarcerated, successful, doing great things, because it shows to the people in my class what life can be like after incarceration. Like, I'm not the only one doing this. So I don't want it to be a rarity or something rare that people are getting out of prison and doing great things. So in the mix of running my programs, I was, I was working at FedEx at the time. So I'm running my programs, working at FedEx. And my mentors is always challenging me to quit using FedEx as a crutch. If you really want to be a business owner and stuff like that, you're going to have to let that go. And then, yeah. you know, and so um, 
It's like how the man said, you got to uh, to take the island. We got to burn the boat. Yeah, you got a bone. Yeah, that's what it was. Ain't no going back. Ain't no going back. Exactly. (laughs) We here. Yeah, you got to figure it out. That's what I did, man. I I burnt the boat. Um, I burnt the boat, and I woke up and said, I want to take the same stuff that I do in my program. I want to take it across the country, but I want to do it on uh, four-day workshops. And so um, that was December, like December 20th, maybe, 21st or 22nd, somewhere around there. And then... um. The first thing I never asked uh, why I, I never asked how I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. I live off this motto, "Who not how." I read this book called "Who Not How," and it talks about when setting goals, quit asking how, ask who. You know, and so when off that method, I said, "Okay, well, who can make me make this uh, come in <laughs> ineffective?" Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying, not how can I do it? Who can help me put this together? Who can help me do this? I said, well, what do I need? I'm going to need the institutions. I'm going to need prisons across the country, and I'm going to need educators, formerly incarcerated educators. Educators were no problem because over the past three or four years since I've been out of prison, well, four years at a time, I've been out of prison. I've been networking with people. i got a podcast that highlight those coming out of prison, their journey. So I already got a network of educators that I just built just through network. So that ain't going to be no problem. And so I asked myself, like, What's going to stop us from getting in the institution? But me knowing from getting my program to the institution that the first thing a prison like to say is, we don't have no funding. <laughs> you ain't even got to bring it. You ain't even got to talk about what you're doing. They're going to say that before you even get off. We don't have no funding. So, right. I, so I didn't even want to hear that. So in order for me not hear that, what was the best thing for me to do? Tell them, we ain't going to charge you just open the door. Because I, because it was important enough, two reasons why I wanted to do the tour. One was to go in and show those on the inside what life is like after incarceration, the possibilities if you apply yourself. You, you can't say you ain't never seen it because I'm coming in with a team of people, at least five people mm-hmm. formerly incarcerated, doing good things. And two, because I know for a fact that the reentry game needs to be changed around to where the educators need to be formally incarcerated who lived experience. Whether right. one is going to be able to make the impact. Right. But these institutions don't give us a chance. So when I say open the doors and I'm saying, yeah, we're doing it for your, your those incarcerated, but I'm also bringing these educators in to get in the opportunity to prove themselves and what they can do. And if you like what they do, then you can come approach them and say, hey, we want that program inside our institution. Uh-huh. So I want to show institutions with us educators. We the educators. Mm-hmm. These are the type of educators that need to be in with their program. Successful uh-huh. formerly incarcerated individuals or reentry or people that's in education in, inside the institutions that y'all let go in during COVID. Right. Like like Coach Snevy. She was a, a correctional officer, edu- you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Tammy, same way. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot. So we cut. So I'm bringing a team on both sides, and they and they are impacted as well. Right. Coach with her father being, you know, what I'm saying being incarcerated. So they're not just somebody like they're being impacted with this. And so that was my goal to to show us what us what us formerly incarcerated educators can do. We don't want to relate to the story. Uh, you know, we've been in the shoes, and then also show those on the inside. What the possibilities of life. So, I mean, after incarceration. So, once I already had educators' prisons, it was just putting the dates together. And it just so happened that 
um, through my networking and people's, like you said, a lot of people's like, how you do it? That was the number one thing. Everybody's like, how are you finna hit up this many institutions for free? You talking about you going for free? I got <laughs> private, con- I got I got private sectors reaching out to me. Yeah, we got yeah. some institutions for you. I got states reaching out to me. You know what I'm saying? They didn't, they didn't know who I was. They ain't none of that. But um, this was my leveling up. I done felt like at the level that I was already at, I done did enough for it. I had no more to prove in a sense as far as getting programmers. I, I, I got my programmers out of the institution. That was the goal. Give them now, you know what I'm saying? How can I uh, make a bigger impact and start making awareness on trying to get some of these contracts? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I wasn't a speaker that a lot of people just want to go into prisons and speak. I always tell people all the time to say, um, I want to speak. Why well, I want to go to prison to speak? Why you want to go in there and speak? You just go in there and share your story. I don't go in there prison to speak just to share my story. I go in there to speak to get a contract. Mm-hmm. And what that means is I go in there and speak, and they be like, oh, Mr. Seals, they loved you. They feeling it. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to hold them down probably for the rest of the day. Then what? I got a program where I come in twice a week, virtually or physically, and do this, and I bring the same energy. So now they're getting this energy every week. We do it for 24 months. They give them enough time to make a transformation, do something for 21 days, become a habit. You do it for nine, it becomes a lifestyle. Right. And so, you know, the tour was my level up and because everybody was so trying to figure out how I was going to do it. They was trying to figure out how. Yeah. But I said earlier, I'm looking for who. Yeah. So once they're trying to figure out how, they're trying to figure out two things, who and how. Who is Cardell Sims? This man right. just came out of nowhere. He's not in top of the field. We ain't really heard of this dude. Mm-hmm. He ain't been speaking at our institution. So, so how, who is he for one? Mm-hmm. And then how, how is he going to do this? You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> what you talking about? Y'all, the ones yeah. y'all trying to figure out who I am, all I need is y'all to get the institution. So, I got one private company that came, hit me up first. Mm-hmm. I said, y'all got institutions, we going in there free. Mm-hmm. We going in there free. Yeah. And they and they support us with the institution. I had to educate them. Now it was just like, let's go. And people asked, like, how did you know who were educated to pick? Man, I reached out. You know, it's a, this is one thing about the reentry game. It's a lot of people in the reentry game, man, that they in it for the money. I've never been in it for the money. I, I've been in it for the work. I've been in it for the impact. I've been in it because I found they find a way to beat recidivism. And I don't want I want those just, just, just sitting inside of prison. You heard it. Man, you can't beat it, man. You get out there, man. They be tripping. You're going to come back. I want to eliminate all them excuses and say, look, this is how I did it. And this is what it's going to take. You got to start with yourself first and then get you some kind of skills, some kind of trade, whether it's barbershop, whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's entrepreneur, whatever it is, find the information, man, and build on that. And so what I found out was that a lot of people was in it, a lot of people in it for the money and not the work. So when people say, well, how do you know who to pick? I say, well, the people that you seen on tour with me, when I told them about it, they didn't ask how much is paying. They said, let's go. Mm-hmm. Which means they wasn't worried about the money. I ain't had the money. I just quit FedEx. You know, yeah. I'm betting in. I'm betting, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm betting, betting in on myself. So if they say go, then it's on me to either borrow my people's car, get me a rental car, if my car can't make it, and drive. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got no money for no plane tickets. That's why people say on the tour, everybody say, Man, you driving? Yeah, yeah. I, I ain't got no choice but to drive. 16 yeah. hours, 15 hours, 10 hours, nine hours, I got to get there. Yeah, you yeah. see what I'm saying? I got to drive because because of my financial situation. But I'm here for the work. You right. open the doors, I'm gonna get there for the work. Ain't no excuse. You know what I'm saying? 
if I got to take my mama car, if my car can't make it. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like for real. So, and, and that's what it's all about. So the people that you see on the tour was those who that wanted to go, that wanted to put the work, that understood the back end of it, understood the importance. A lot of times we're so caught up in this world that everything is uh is so fast. Everybody wants every stuff now. I'm on it now. You know, and then you you don't think about the back end. When I started the tour, I started thinking about the opportunities it's gonna produce for all of everybody involved on the back end. You're gonna get more known, you're gonna get more opportunities for institutions to go speak if you want to do. You're gonna get more opportunities if you got a program on the course to get that in institutions as well. You're right. gonna go on more institutions this year than you're gonna win in last year. Mm -hmm. You know, and I guarantee if I sit here and talk to my team or the team. And ask them how they've been in more institutions this year than they did last year. I guarantee they're gonna say yeah. Yeah, I gotta you say that. I, the yeah. only one I went in was the one I was a part of. So, you know that don't count. And you know when you were talking about like the reentry people coming in to do the teaching, I remember when I was in prison. They only had one woman come in, and she was talking about filling out job applications. And I was like, all right, you know, so. You got to have people who live the experience to help people navigate the way, and you do a good job of that by even inviting you know the ones you did. And so, like, I remember because uh, I had met Aaron Smith online a few years ago, and he tagged me. No, he tagged you in the um, in a post I made on LinkedIn, and I saw all of what you had planned. I hit you up. I was just like, bro, like, cause I had the same mentality you did. I was trying to figure out how to best make Bitcoin and reentry work. And everybody was saying, I don't know. I don't know. And I realized, of course they don't know. They never lived a life or never had to think about living a life. So, but I was, I'm big on the who part. I haven't read that book. I'm going to read it though, but I'm big on the, who do I need to meet? What, what pieces of this puzzle? And when I say what pieces need to be, you know, what pieces on the puzzle need to come together. That's a who. Who is who? What skills they have to make this happen? And so um, I remember when Aaron tagged you, I reached out to you. I think we met like the same week on the phone. And like I shared with you my idea. And you were like, man, shit, people in people inside, they, they love to know more about Bitcoin. That's That's what they talk about. And I was shocked when you told me because I'm just thinking I was I was wasn't too shocked, but I was shocked a bit because it was just like damn, like folks on the inside really thinking about this. So, um, you know when 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 and then you told me you had like a scenario of learning about Bitcoin in prison. So tell us about that. Like how what how did you come about even hearing about Bitcoin in prison? Yeah, I mean when I first heard about Bitcoin was in prison. I didn't hear about no Bitcoin. And prior to me going to federal prison, I'm just be honest, this is 2013. I was caught up in the streets. I was a rapper. I'm on tour. I'm mm. doing all this other stuff. I'm not worried about no Bitcoin. Best way I know about some, you're talking about making some money flipping. Right. Just give me some dope. I can show yeah. you how to flip some money. That's yeah. all I knew. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'll show you how to flip. But when I was in prison, you know, um, a guy, you know, we was just talking, we was talking about uh, how a, a currency was created. You know, because when I, one thing about me, I go to the root. I learned that in the temple. Mm -hmm. More science. You want, you got to yeah. go to the root of things. So I'm trying to figure out how to make money. I need to understand the difference between currency and money. 
I need to understand these things. So when I started going back to currency and started understanding money, started reading about like the panic of 1907 and started reading about the gold standards and started reading about the federal reserve and and senator nelson audience and this this everything behind on the basis of finances and, and what makes a, a, a credible you know a currency what yeah. what's the what's the thing is the currency and so you know a guy said man you got to read about this book i've been reading called the dark web and these new ways of currency i'm like the dark way, like, yeah, the internet 2.0. I'm like, what is this? You got to start talking about, yeah, Silk Road and all. I'm like, man, what the, all this is foreign to me. I said, man, well, look, let me check out the book then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so when he gave me the book, I started reading. Then I started reading about the dark web and how people was is from synthetic, synthetic drug making to, to, now people are, are, are selling houses and buying guns with bitcoins. I'm like, what the hell is a bitcoin? Yeah. And then they 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 breaking it down more and more and more. I'm like, oh, this is a currency. But what stuck out to me was that how the, I was like, how I was talking about it. It was decentralized. This decentralized ain't nobody over it. Right. And to me, that that was kind of like, oh, this is my type of field, but. Shoot, they this sound like some illegal stuff when going on up yeah. in here. Then I wrote the book, dude, and got a lot of time and this and this and that. I'm like, nah, I'm cool on it. But but it was so relatable because in prison, you know what I'm saying, Bitcoin was kind of like um the the rebel way of of of, of getting currency yeah. outside of the United States. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of like the drug game, mm-hmm. you know. Um Ain't the government ain't watching over ain't 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 in on this what we got going on on this block, you know right. what I'm saying? So that's kind of how I started relating. And then when I got out and I you know if that that information was in some of my paperwork, Bitcoin currency. Mm-hmm. And so when I started looking and studying it, and I started to see exactly what it was, I was like, oh yeah. Then I started getting involved as far as like you know um Nipsey Hussle. I was mm-hmm. a big Nipsey Hussle fan. Yeah. Before prison. Um, I have been bumping Nipsey Hussle probably since 2008, 2009. Yeah. Um, and so when I got out, and like I said, I ain't had no mentors got out of prison, but I, I was listening to Eric Thomas. So I would mm-hmm. go back and follow up on Eric Thomas, catch up on Nipsey's new song. Then I started seeing Nipsey in the cryptocurrency. Then I mm-hmm. started following him and listening to him talk about, I think he was doing a follow coin at the time or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was talking about how these places are, are overseas. They they got a you this they you can go in there and, and spend with cryptocurrency when you go shopping and, and this mm-hmm. and this and he was talking about how it was gonna be years down the road. And so I started looking into it and I started being involved and I started to understand just the basis of it. That's all I need to know was the basis. What's yeah. the basis of it? And so I knew like okay, but then I started watching the growth. You know, and then you look, I got 2017, so like 2017 to 2023, especially around the time COVID hit and a little bit before COVID, everybody everybody was Bitcoined out. Then you start seeing all these other cryptocurrencies come up in Dogecoin, CU, you know, and all these other, you know, so you had no choice but to start paying into it. Then you start paying, I started paying to it. I'm like, oh, this is really on something. And then I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then when you just came and was like, you know, Aaron's tag, he's like, man, I think we got somebody that can be different. Because we was looking for 
different aspects. I didn't want everybody, I didn't want to go on a tour and everybody was talking about becoming an entrepreneur. You know, I'm on a different subject. And so when I seen him, I was like, oh yeah, I got to get him on a podcast one. But this would be good because this is a big segue into something that ain't never been into the prison. I don't, this is the first time I heard somebody say bars to Bitcoin. And I have nobody has this course inside the institution, so there's so much you can do with that. Plus, I know people on the inside is going to be want to know about bitcoins because if you've been in prison the last five years, you've been hearing about bitcoin. If you have no idea about it, if you ain't in there reading or none of that, which a lot of people ain't doing that reading, but you're going to want to know about it. So that's why you was like, man, you think they're going to want? I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to know. That's why I heard about Bitcoin for the first time I was in prison. So yeah, yeah they're going to know because somebody's in prison. It's, it's, it's somebody, it's at least five, six people in one institution across this country that are trying to figure out how they can make some money off Bitcoin while they locked up. Right. You know what I'm saying? While they locked up. So should they, without you, they could be, without you coming in, teaching the right way, they can be on they can be on a next wave to become a financial free with the information or without the information, they can be on their next road to be in the dark web part two. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Financial freedom or prison. You you you're 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 the one that brings the information that can that separates their line. Because they don't have the information, they might get guided from someone else and go the wrong way. Now they got a whole nother case. Now you locked up in the feds for the dark web. And that's you got somebody to come like you that comes in with the information, comes in with the courses on it. Now they're getting the proper information and they ain't getting misguided for someone else. But right. there's people on the inside that wants to know about Bitcoin and how to properly, you know what I'm saying, do that market. You know, when, and I'm glad you said all that because like I've been out going on nine years and you like, you know, in the past five years, you know, folks have heard about Bitcoin. Like I was locked up from 2011 to 2014 in North Carolina. We heard zero about it. But when we were in uh, Maryland, and we could talk about that a little bit. I noticed like, cause at first I ain't gonna lie. When I had gone in there, I was a bit nervous. I was breathing. I was trying to be cool. Just see the surroundings and see what was going on. And by the time it came for me to present, I was I was shocked I was able to play the documentary. But then like that helped everybody calm down. Then I started hearing all these people start bringing up Bitcoin. And uh, a lot of them were, of course, interested in the jobs uh, in the mining field. But when folks were like, man, you know, do I need any experience? Or what really got folks was like money. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people in prison, uh, black, white, whatever. They're probably in there behind some money. You got some other people in there behind something totally different. But it seemed like everybody has something to do with money. You sold drugs. You 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 robbed people. You might have killed somebody over money. You did something because you wanted more money. And when I was able to you know help open that barrier, like you said, learn about currency, and you went down like the bank runs, all of that. That helps open folks' minds to realize, like, damn, we really going to jail behind some money that's getting terrible over time. Like, the longer we sit there, the worse it gets. And exactly. when I think, I think there was a woman who said she had some Bitcoin before and a kid, this one younger dude, I ain't gonna call him no kid, 
he was young. He was like, yeah, you know, I mined Bitcoin from 2016 to 2019. It really blew my mind, but I also saw how people started, like you said, connecting those dots and were like, damn, you know, this, this, this really did help a bit. And, you know, from that, let me know, like, what you saw during the presentation, because you were in there for most of mine. Like when you when when I was sharing and like, what were you seeing some of the participate? Uh, what were you seeing to the people who were who were participating? Like, did you see light bulbs go off or folks? Leaving? I mean, I, 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 I seen what I what what I what I knew. You know, what I'm saying what I knew what would happen. You see what I'm saying? Like, I knew there was an interest for Bitcoin. I knew that someone in this in this crowd has played with Bitcoins and got some Bitcoins. Like, yeah, this is mm -hmm. the way to wave. Um, and I knew that people were going to be interested. Like, you had the one lady, she had her some Bitcoin, but she lost her key. Mm -hmm. can't remember it. You know, you had a few people trying to figure out how, they didn't know the avenues of how to get Bitcoin. Right. You know, they wanted some, but they never had the time and knew the avenue and nobody ever showed them how to you properly get Bitcoin. You had the one guy, like you said, he was talking about in the mining field. He was, you know, he knew what he was talking about. And there was several people in there that was on to the Bitcoin and they knew. And it, it it's, it's just like, it's just like um in prison, everything that Bitcoin reminds me of this currency and the currency game in prison alone. Um, a lot of people don't understand it unless you've been to prison. This real estate goes on in, in, in prison. There's sports, there's sports betting that goes on in prison. There's uh, <laughs> uh, another currency outside of money that operates in prison that has nothing to do with a dollar. Or, you know, there's other, you know, so when you're thinking about Bitcoins, you think about these things, it fits right in the mold of how we survive in prison um, using other currency. It's kind of like you said, with the stamps it's, it's, and how you break it down with the, with the stamps and, and the correlation of Bitcoin and stamps is, is is great because that's almost the number one currency inside of a inside of a prison. It's stamps. It's not getting money wired to your books or none of that. It's right. them stamps. When, when you go in to play them tickets, when I used <laughs> to go play them tickets, I'm going in there. I got a seven pick. And I got a, a book of stamps. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And that, yeah. and and when I win, I'm gonna get all. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna be balling because I'm gonna have a whole bunch of book of stamps. Right. You see what I'm saying? And this is gonna get me whatever I want to get inside the institution. And right. I recommend them be forever stamps because I the stamps that got the numbers on them would do me no good next week or next year. I need the forever stamps because I'm always, I, if I need to put one of these dirty things on the envelope, I can. But right. if not, whatever the value of stamps is today, <laughs> the value of a forever stamp is. And if it drops tomorrow, it's going to be that value. If it goes up tomorrow, it's going to relate to that value and it's going to spin like that. And so, you know, and then we looking at, when you're looking at tickets, it's, it's the same way. We, we thrive off um, autonomy, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what Bitcoin does. That's what, you know, the things even on the inside when we're playing these tickets or we're doing stamps or, you know, whatever, whatnot, this is this is what this does. Right. So when I'm sitting back watching, 
to me, it's more opposite back watching like, see, I told you, Justin. I told you. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. I told you. You know, because um, it's a part of the world, man. It's a, it's an everyday part of the world, and people didn't understand. Once you start seeing, once we started seeing cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and things like that covered on CNBC, when we're talking about financial literacy and stock market stuff, and you start to see the stuff pop up, that means, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Okay. That means it's important and it has a way. So it just, it just for me, it clarified what I already knew. I just wanted you to see that. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's 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 gonna become ever more real, man. And how you said that every word you said, autonomy, decentralization, like that comparison is how I took it when I first noticed it, and I was just like, damn, like this is this is something here. So, you know, bro, um, I'm gonna definitely have you on some more of these because you know I would love to for folks to hear the updates from from what you saw and keep continuously share you know, our partnership and all of this. Um, because again, like I tell people, I didn't have a, I I had a how, no, I had, I had a strong enough why. I didn't have a how, but I had to move those letters around and just started looking for who. And then all the clues started coming and, you know, it started becoming uh, a more of a reality. So, you know, as we wrap up, you know, let people know, you know, where they can find you, but more importantly, how, how can they help assist, you know, with particularly what you doing, um, you know, whether I'm there or not, how can they assist Cardell Sims, you know, where they can find you. And I'll make sure I link everything in the show notes and, um, you know, get, get this out there as best as possible, man. Hey, oh yeah. You could, you can find me on, uh, CardellSims.com. That's K-A-R-D-E-L-L-S-I-M-S.com. Um, really you can help us out. Those who's tuning in, you can help us out with this tour. Um, becoming a sponsor. We're looking for sponsors. Um, mm -hmm. We got the institutions, you know, getting us out. We got the institutions. We just got to get to these institutions and get out there and continue making an impact. You can do sponsors. You can do a partnership if you want to donate uh, grants, we, you know, whatever you think is the avenue or you know any avenues that we can apply for, for funding um, to continue the tour because we want to continue it all the way to 20, uh, 2024, 2025. We want to make this a a thing every year uh, where we bring new people on, we bring those that may participate inside of them um, when they come out, possibly get them on board and bring them apart. And so we want to continue to grow this. So if you want to become a sponsor, like I said, uh, make a donation, help us find grants and things that matter, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, on my website. Everything that has to do with me is Cardell Sims or I am Cardell Sims. They go for uh, all social media accounts, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and things of that nature. Um, and just, you know, continue to support the movement and uh, what we're doing, whether sharing a video, sharing a post. It don't it don't take a lot to support um in my eyes for me. But that's what I'm on, that's what I'm doing. I'm all, I'm a ten toes down in this reentry, in this attack and recidivism and mentoring, uh, most definitely. So that's really what I all I can really say. Hey, man, I appreciate you, man. You've definitely been a big mentor to me, whether you know it or not. You know, just just that familiar OG who knows, like, the different ways of life, you know what I mean? And, and like, even when you were telling your story and how you would write down every single thing and just be focused, it's like, damn, like, you know, you don't know what a wall is, no matter if you were behind them or not. And so everything you, you said, I'm going to link it in the show notes. 
um, have people uh, send send folks to your page as best as possible. And we're going to continue this work, brother. All right. No, all right, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. Peace, peace. Peace.